Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the Word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. It's a pleasure to be with you. My name is Bobby Wood, and I'm married to my wife, Lindsay, for the last 15 years. We have four kids, ages 12, 10, 8, and 5. Um, I actually grew up here in Somerville, South Carolina, born and raised. All my family mostly lives here. And I went down the road to high school at Northside Christian School, just not too far from here. And um, so I I love Charleston. I love this area. It's always just a pleasure to come back. And I'm surprised, but there's a lot of people here that I know that I've grown up with and and a lot of different things. And so that's really cool to be here at Northwood this morning. I mean, it feels like almost like a homecoming to come back and um, just to see so many familiar faces. And so it's just a joy to be here. And I just love what's happening with Northwood Baptist Church. I mean, it's exciting to hear about how Northwood is investing in missions across the world and in other states and other cities and locally helping churches that need help and giving of their own resources of people and time and, and finances and prayer to help those churches get back on their feet to restart, replant, renew new churches. One of those churches, Wando Woods, is actually my grandparents' church. So that means something to me um, that you're doing that. And so it's, uh, that's a really cool thing. And I'm just really excited about just the heart, heartbeat of this church. So it's a joy to be with you this morning. Um, in 2004, I was uh, actually a student at the University of South Carolina And God began to wrestle with my heart about the course and direction of my life. Um, I was studying chemical engineering at the time, and my thought was to go into law school and eventually, you know, make a good living, um, a lot of money, be very accomplished and successful. And every pursuit of mine at the time was for my own personal ambition. And about my sophomore year of college, God began to, like, wreck my heart and wreck my life about that, that my pursuit in life should not just be for my own personal ambition and gain, but it should be for the name and glory of Jesus. So I I talked to our campus minister. We were involved at the Baptist Collegiate Ministries and the time and just said, you know, this is what's going on. And she's like, you ever tried just uh, going and doing this thing called um, Gen, or campus at the time it was Summer Missions. Now it's called Gen Send. But the time was Summer Missions and they could send you anywhere across the world. And so I got sent to a place called Burley, Idaho. And I don't know if you know anything about Burley, Idaho. I would be surprised if anyone's ever been there in this room. I mean, it is kind of just an interstate stop 
And all I knew about Idaho is I was like, I think they have potatoes there. And they have potatoes there. Burley is a potato farming community. It's like potato fields as far as the eye can see. That's exactly what Burley was about. But my time out west in southern Idaho and Salt Lake City, I was shocked because here from my standpoint, growing up in Charleston, South Carolina, born and raised here, the Bible Belt, you have steeples that dot the landscape of Charleston. I mean, there are churches everywhere. And in Salt Lake City, there are also steeples that dot the landscape. The difference is that none of those steeples have crosses on the top of them. And they're LDS wards. So what is an LDS ward? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is headquartered in Salt Lake City. And this is a um, religion that teaches um, really good moral values, really good family values. Um, It's a great place to live because as a result of the high morality and high family values that's there, Um, My kids play outside and I'm not worried about, you know, what's going to happen if they're in the street or whatever. I mean, people take care of each other. Uh, People just do a lot of things in parks and family things. And it's great. It's a great place to live. I love it. I praise the Lord that we get to live in such a beautiful state where you get like mountains like this everywhere. Like this is my backyard is mountains. And so it's absolutely beautiful and absolutely amazing. And at the same time, it's one of the most lost places on the planet 98% of the people who live in my state would disagree with the very core foundations of evangelical Christianity and would be lost. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, while they have high morality and high family values, they also teach that Jesus was a created being, that we are also created in heaven, and as God is, or as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. They believe in something called exaltation, that man, if man is good enough, if man does enough good things, he can eventually exalt himself to the place of godhood. And so what happens in heaven, we're born to a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. And what the, basically God takes the men in black, wipe our memory thing, if you remember that movie. And we forget everything about that time. We come to the earth and God gives us a chance to prove your worthiness for him. And that's what the LDS church teaches. So it's a state that has like good morality. And it's a state that has, teaches really great uh, practices in the workplace and they're great workers and it's a clean city. It's all these amazing, great things. And yet it is absolutely spiritually dark. And we talk about a lot of the same things. We use a lot of the same language. We talk about salvation, God, Jesus, the Bible, but we mean very different things when we say those things. And I think if we're to take like a biblical example of this, I think the LDS presence, my state, would be very akin to in the Bible when they would talk about the Samaritan people. The Samaritan people were very similar to Jews. They came from a common ancestry, a common ethnicity. But over the years, through a whole lot of historical circumstances, like the Assyrian army, when they came in to take over Israel, one of their strategies for unification was to mix up the peoples from conquered territories, and they mixed them up in Israel. So you had uh, a a difference in ethnicity, and you also had a difference in religious um, uh, syncretism. 
So over the, over the time of bringing these peoples together, the religions started to blend together into a brand new religion, which is often what we like to do in America today when someone says, I'm a part Christian and part Buddhist and part Muslim and part Hindu. That's syncretism. They're taking religions and blending them together into a brand new religion, and that's what the Samaritans did. I want to show you something, Acts 1, a passage we, maybe you know well, maybe you don't know well. This is what's called the Great Commission. You go to the next one, I think in Acts 1, 8, put that on the screen. Acts 1, 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this is the Great Commission. This was some of the last words Jesus ever communicated before he ascended into heaven. And he shared this with his disciples and his disciples understood that this commission was not just for them, but the disciples they made and the disciples they made and the disciples they made all the way to the place where we are today. This is still the great commission. We are still called to testify of the risen savior of how Christ has saved our life and to go into the unreached places of the world and bring the gospel message, which we believe is the only hope for mankind into the world. And what's really interesting as he talks about this, Samaria was a, a province, a territory that was kind of right in the middle of Israel. It was kind of in between. But as you see, as this passage shares, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now for Jews and Samaritans, there was, for Jews, you had really three different types of people. You had your Jews, which were people that are like you, same beliefs, similar ethnicity, and then you had Gentiles, people who were not like you. Pagans believed something very different, and they did things very differently than you. And then you had a third group, which was the Samaritans. Ever since the time of Ezra, Samaritans and Jews were in constant conflict with each other. They had tension, racial tension. There was ethnic tension. There was religious tension. And in 128 BC, we actually see the Jews during the Hasmonean Revolution come in and destroy the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim. In increasing hostilities for years to come, even leading up to 52 AD, as a group of Jews are on their way to worship in Jerusalem and a, a group of Samaritans ambushes them and slaughters the whole group. They have hostility all throughout time. And so this is the time and John chapter four is our main text today. We're gonna to look at this text of how Jesus interacts with Samaritans. Now, when you see this, the Great Commission, I don't know about you, but I start thinking about this, like this was 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave this commission. Now think about this. Christianity has expanded to every continent in the world. Technology now, we have the ability through the usage of of the internet, social media, smartphones, to get the gospel all over the place through videos and streaming and even Bible translation. It's the access to the gospel is greater than it ever has been. And yet, you know, there are still places in the world, unreached, unengaged people that have no missionaries, no churches, no believers of any kind that are even sharing the gospel with those people. Do you know that in Utah, where I live, there are cities and places with no evangelical church, broadly evangelical church that's there in those communities sharing the gospel. How is that possible? If the Great Commission was 2,000 years ago, 
how is it possible that even today there are places in this world that have no presence of the gospel? How can we have so many believers and concentrated believers in different pockets and yet we're still missing something crucial? I think there's something wrong with us. I think we're missing something huge and large. I really believe that one of the greatest enemies to God's potential future use in your life and his cosmic vision throughout the world is uncomfortableness, discomfort. And I think the anticipation of discomfort prevents us from fully experiencing the lived out Christian life that God intends for our lives, the fear of discomfort. And think about it like this. January 1st, maybe in December, you went to your doctor and he said, your blood pressure's high, your cholesterol's high, cholesterol's high, whatever it might be. And he said, we need to have a change here. We need to have a diet change. We need to have some exercise. So he's like, get the vegetables. You're gonna start cooking those. You're gonna go to the gym every day. And that first week rolls around and you start going to the gym. And you know what you find out after a couple days? You are in pain, and those vegetables taste terrible. Like, this isn't good. And a couple days in, what do you do? You're done. Like, you know what? I'm okay with high blood pressure. I think I'm all right with that. An early life, an early death is okay with me. Truth is, like, we don't like discomfort. We hate being uncomfortable, and the anticipation or fear of being uncomfortable prevents us from doing really good things that are helpful to us and beneficial to us because we just don't like to be uncomfortable. But let me just share this reality with you. If we believe the Bible's true, then we believe that all the world, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means the whole world has sinned against a holy and righteous and good God and we deserve death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That means not just physical death, but we are talking about eternal death. We believe in something called the wrath of God in that for all people, unless they place their hope and trust in Jesus, their sins have condemned them already and that hell is awaiting all those people by their own sinful choices and desires and commitments of disobedience to God. Do we really believe that's real? Like, do you really believe that hell is real and eternity is real and that one day we're going to die and that everyone's gonna have to come before the, the throne and before the great judge, the judge of all judges, the God of all, of all everything, and we're gonna have to come before him and he's gonna say, or if you sinned against me, yes. And if your hope is not in Jesus, Jesus advocates for us. Jesus gives us his righteousness for those who believe and trust in him. But if that's real, then what's awaiting most people is not heaven, but it's awaiting hell. And I think most of us, out of a desire to be comfortable, we totally ignore that reality. And so then the Great Commission being witnesses into the world in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. 
becomes a good slogan to say, verse to memorize, we're praying for you, but I have no part in that. That's for the professional Christian. And we forget this reality knowing that this is absolutely a part of the Christian life. I want you to turn to John chapter four. I really believe that this Samaritan people, if we're gonna reach the Samaritan people, that, which I believe we're called to, you have to go to uncomfortable places. You have to share, demonstrate uncomfortable love and you have to share uncomfortable truth. To reach Samaritans, you have to go to uncomfortable places. You must demonstrate uncomfortable love and share uncomfortable truth. And I believe this is the call. This is the point. And in John chapter four, I believe we see a picture of that and how Jesus responds to the, the people of Samaria. Let's look at verse one. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So this time in Jesus' ministry, they're not ready to crucify him yet, but at this point in time in his ministry, um, there's a lot of name recognition and people are hearing about Jesus and wanting to come see him and more disciples. There's more people following Jesus now. And in fact, at this point, more than the, the John the Baptist had. And so the Pharisees were intrigued and they were, well, tell me more about this Jesus. What's this guy doing? So Jesus um, says he had to go to Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria in verse four. This verse is really interesting because, I mean, you first read that, it, it sounds as though there may be a geographical necessity to pass through Samaria. If you look at a map and you've got Galilee uh, to the north and you've got Judea to the south, what you have right in the middle is a, a land called Samaria. And it goes coast to river. And in between, again, like I said, north Galilee, south Judea, G Jesus is in Judea. And it says he had to pass through Samaria on his way to Galilee. Now, what you might not know, though, is because of this Samaritan problem, often what it would do, Jews would do, is that they would take another road. And it would kind of bypass the land of Samaria and then go around Samaria. Now, either way, right, I think that there was possibilities that the Jews, I mean, they could have done this for religious reasons, but very likely, very possible that the reason why they did this is because they just didn't like each other. Jews and Samaritans did not like and enjoy hanging out with each other or being around each other. And so it was easy to just go around. Well, Jesus says he had to pass through Samaria. And I personally believe this was not a geographical necessity, but it was a missional necessity for him to pass through Samaria. Again, going back to Acts 1.8, this is the Great Commission. So Jesus going through Samaria, that there was a missional reason for him being there. He had to pass through Samaria. And as he goes into Samaria, he finds this well. Well, the well, if you picture what a well was like in a town, this is like your town coffee shop. This is where people would gather to go hang out and talk together. And so this is the place where you, everybody have to go, everybody have to drink. And if you're a hunter, you know that, like, right, if you're looking for an animal, like water sources are always a great place to find animals because they've got to get water. 
In the same way with people, we've got to get water. The well, the town well, was where everybody came and gathered. Now, the Bible says it was about the sixth hour. And so if we're talking from like a recognition of time in the sense of saying like the morning was the zero hour, like daybreak, then sixth hour would be about noon. If it was from a Roman understanding, the sixth hour would be like midnight to 6 a.m. So probably 6 a.m. But most likely it was probably middle of the day and around noon. Now it's hot in this climate and people aren't hanging around. And Jesus had to pass through Samaria. We're gonna get to that in a second. But what I think I find just so fascinating about that is that it says he had to pass through Samaria. I'm convinced that for us to reach Samaritans, one of the first things that has to happen is that you must go to uncomfortable places. You must go to uncomfortable places. And truthfully, we don't like being uncomfortable. Illustrate this, I, I kind of was thinking about this time I had in college and it was at a church that I volunteered as like a youth pastor to work at. And this church was like a lot of churches in the South where basically it uh, was, the community was more maybe more middle class and probably mono-ethnic and um, mostly wealthy. And over time, the neighborhood started to change started to become more impoverished, assisted living or, uh, uh, you know, assisted housing that came into place of subsidized housing. And it kind of brought, changed the whole landscape of the community. Well, the church, the people in the church kind of stayed the same, even though they started moving to different parts and they would drive in to church, go to church every Sunday. They did not resemble the people in the community. And I started volunteering there and I realized like a lot of the teenagers and like, you know, 12-year-old boys and things like that, like that are in this neighborhood, they would get into drugs and gangs and things like that very easily because that they, a lot of these guys didn't have fathers in the picture or didn't have any kind of male figure. Mom was raising them, but she was working hard. Or even grandma was raising them, but she had gotten to a place where she couldn't really take care of these boys. And so I just brought a football into the neighborhood and we just started playing football with these boys. And it was great. Started connecting with them and, you know, they start telling about their lives and they started coming to church and more of these kids started coming to church and they would come every week. And there was a, a lady in the church whose grandkids were there and she's like, I don't like that these boys are here with my grandkids. And I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. Like these kids need help. Don't we say we, we know who Jesus is and that he has all the hope for the world and we're not, we don't want them to be here? That doesn't make any sense to me. The truth is that lady was probably sharing something in her heart that a lot of us feel whether we admit it or not. It's easy to love somebody to go to places. There are people that are like you. What about people who are not like you? What about people who have different likes, different interests, different cultures, different backgrounds, different languages? And maybe to you, their culture seems a little bit different, strange, odd, something that you're not used to. What we like to do is we like to just, hey, you know, I'm just gonna go around this area here, go down, I don't need to be around. If we're not around people who don't know Jesus, then how in the world are they gonna hear about Jesus? I believe that the reason why we're in the places we're in is because God wants to use you and use me to carry out the message of the gospel to people who've never heard. That's a miracle in and of itself, that God would even use us 
to take the gospel into places that they've never heard the gospel. Why would he use broken vessels like us? Because God gets all the glory. We got to make a lot of sacrifices living in Utah. A lot of sacrifices, a lot of things that, um, you know, I just never thought about. For instance, my kids live 2,000 miles away from my whole side of the family, their grandparents. My kids are the only Christians in their classes. No other Christians. So the kinds of conversations I have with my kids every day is about what does it look like to share the gospel even with your friends and what is our faith and why is there, what do they believe and why is that not the way we line up and the way we believe? Conversations you'd never think you'd have to have with a five-year-old. Think about just culture today and where culture's headed in the direction and, and of secularism. And, and so in our culture, we have both the high religious culture of the LDS church, and then we also have just people who are just, have left the LDS church and are, are just secular and anything goes. And these kids are coming in with this type of worldview. And I'm explaining to my children, helping them understand there's people in this world. And the reason why we're here in Utah is because we want them to know about Jesus. But that's a sacrifice we have to make. And if we're unwilling to make the sacrifice, how are they gonna know? Let's read on, verse seven. It said, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So real quick, this, you're at the well, a lady comes up, a Samaritan woman, and Jesus had already sent his other disciples in the, to the city to buy food, most likely to, to find kosher food that was prepared correctly and not prepared by a Samaritan chef who may not have followed the Old Testament law as they should have followed it. So the disciples are in the city. Jesus is by himself. There's a woman at the well, middle of the day. In verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Again, showing this divide, this racial divide between Jews and Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give, that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I think the second thing we see here is that you must demonstrate uncomfortable love. You must demonstrate uncomfortable love. What does Jesus do? He's talking to a woman in the middle of the day. First off, you understand culture in this day. Uh, for many Jewish men, they would not even talk to their wives in public. So culture in the day, he's talking to a woman at the well. Not only is it a woman, it's a Samaritan woman. Already a strange thing. This lady feels like she knows this is off. Like no one does this. Jewish men don't speak to me. And here you are speaking to me. Why would you do that? And why are we sharing water together? This is something that's strange about this. And he's telling her, don't you, you gotta understand though, like I'm offering you a different type of water. I'm, this whole conversation is different because of who you're talking to. 
But what I love about this is that Jesus shows her a type of love that maybe she's never seen before in her life. I think one of the things that should define us as followers of Christ is that we should be people that share just the unconditional grace of God and it should be oozing out of every pore of our body into every person we come in contact with. And when people meet you, do they see you as someone who actually loves them, cares for them, or sees them as somebody that you really don't like? Because the truth is, we know when someone doesn't like us. We can perceive that. So you can fake it. You can pretend you like somebody, but they know you if you really like them or not. You know what I'm talking about. It's the, the Southern hospitality that we do, that we grew up with, right? We bless your heart and all that stuff that we say. And really that can mean all kinds of things. But I'm saying you really love somebody. Here's a for instance of that. We're about to have a big presidential election in 2024. You're gonna have lots of opportunities to love people who are different than you who vote differently than you, who maybe have different beliefs than you, and share really, is this accurate? Is this true? Is this really what you care about? Our church, um, one of the things we do in the community, and this is something actually the college team, if you're gonna be on the college mission trip coming out in March, which I think is gonna be fantastic, it's gonna be awesome. Um, but one of the things we like to do is to find ways to demonstrate love to our community. Of course, we wanna take every opportunity we can to share the gospel. And we look for ways, even within these types of opportunities to share the gospel. That's the ultimate goal of what we're about is to make disciples um, of all nations, starting with evangelism. And then as people come to faith in Christ, raise them up and to, to understand and follow Christ. But we also wanna back up what we preach by being true to our word and demonstrating the love of Christ. So one way, way we do that is through block parties. And we'll put these, we'll grill up a bunch of hamburgers and hot dogs, invite the community out, have a big party, and it's free. We'll have games for the kids and bounce houses and all kinds of fun stuff. And, and really all we're just trying to say is, hey, we love you, we believe what we say we believe, and we want you to come and hear the message of the gospel because this is what Christ did for our sins and, and we just wanna share that love with you. We go around business to business giving out goodies and candy and cookies and stuff like that to first responders and the employees of businesses and government workers and whoever else we can give those things out to. And we've done this since we've been in church 10 years ago. Every year we do this. Well, one, one of these years, I think it was like probably four or five years ago, there's this parade that happens every year in my town and lots of people are there. There's several thousand people there and we give out water bottles. We give out all kinds of stuff and just uh, to bless the community. And, and we had a mission team with us that week. And so there's this mission team. They're going alongside of the parade route, handing out bottles of water to people in this parade route. And there's this one section of the parade where all the city officials gather and they kind of hang out kind of in the VIP section. And it's kind of the restricted section. You're really not supposed to go in there. But this guy from this mission team, he didn't know that. And so he's bringing his water bottles into this section and he's handing out water bottles to, to these uh, city officials that are there and these kind of like VIPs that are in this, this section of the, of the parade. And this one guy kind of gets upset and he's like, why are, you, why are these guys in here? They shouldn't be in this section handing out water bottles. And the other lady who was uh, a member of the city council said, don't you know who these guys are? This is Redemption Church. And like they have done so much for our community. Like, they're a blessing. And I just remember just feeling like the proudest I've ever been for my church. 
It's like one of the things like you hope you're doing these things right. Like we want to be loving to our community, but you don't always know if reality is the same as perception. And so to hear that, I want our people to know, I want our community to know that this love that we have for them is real and genuine because of the love of Christ that he's shown to you and to me. I mean, isn't the grace of Jesus, isn't that something in and of itself that is just almost uncomfortable? Like, I don't know about you, but this is how I am. When I'm in need of help, I don't like to ask for help. I wanna fix it myself. I don't want anybody to come along and help me. I wanna solve the problem. And if someone comes to you and you're like that, like me, and they really wanna help you and they shower you with love and gifts and grace, it is uncomfortable because that means that you need somebody else. Grace is uncomfortable because we know that if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus, we would be hopeless. Isn't that what salvation is all about? I have sinned against a holy God and I deserve the wrath of him upon my shoulders for all eternity. That's what I deserve. And instead of getting that, Jesus, the son of God, takes on human flesh, comes to the earth, lives a sinless life, a perfect life, and dies in my place. He dies the death we deserve. He takes my place on the cross and offers me his righteousness so that when God sees me, he doesn't see my sin, he sees Jesus' perfection and righteousness. That's what grace is all about. But if you really understand that, you, didn't, you weren't good enough to earn it. You didn't have a good resume that deserved that grace. It is 100% Jesus. It's all him. Grace is uncomfortable. And we must also show uncomfortable love to others. But Jesus just... I say just, he wasn't just treating her with respect and dignity and left the conversation there. He was getting to a point. He wanted her to see what this living water was all about. Look in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And so, again, we don't know fully the context of this story, but it's possible she's been married five times and divorced five times. Again, in a Jewish context, it's okay to divorce is permissible, but even this level of divorce would have been seen as something that would have been a very taboo subject in their culture and day. It's also possible they actually weren't legitimate marriages, but they were just men that she lived with And so her lifestyle would not have been one that was acceptable. It's possible also, again, that she was there at the well in the middle of the day because she didn't want the rest of the town knowing that she was there. Again, her lifestyle may have been one where to think like the grace of God, can it really be for me? So what does she say? Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. If someone started telling you about your whole past history, I'm sure you'd have similar thoughts. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she's getting, again, her context of worship. She's getting back into the weeds. Do we worship in Jerusalem? Do we worship in Mount Gerizim? Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. 
But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The third thing we see here is that you must share uncomfortable truth. What does Jesus do? He gets in the weeds of her life with her. I think something about us as people, like maybe this is you, you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll do cook up some hamburgers and hot dogs for people. I'll do that all day long. That sounds like my thing. But sharing the gospel with somebody, telling somebody that they're a sinner and needs Jesus, that, that's not me. I can't do that. That's uncomfortable. You've heard this before. It's two things you don't talk about at the dinner table. Politics and religion. The first thing Jesus brings up, they're getting into it. I mean, right? Samaritans and Jews thing, that's a political divide and it's also a religious divide. He's telling her, I know your past and your past isn't good. Your past is real bad. That's probably why you're even here drawn at the well right now. But hey, I'm coming to bring you hope. It's not a sense for us to tell people, like we're not trying to take their sin and just smear their faces in their sin. But there is also a point in us sharing the gospel where we have to have a little bit of boldness to share the truth with people because we know that eternity is real. And then unless they hear the hope of Jesus, they have no hope at all. And if we believe the Bible to be what it says to be, if we really believe it, we say we believe it, but if we really believe it, how does that change the way in which you encounter people and the type of conversations you're willing to have with people, even if it means they're gonna think you're a little bit off and a little bit strange? Do you know this? There are places in the world on, on Sunday mornings they cannot gather because if they gather together, they will be arrested, taken to a labor camp somewhere and executed. I know Christians, missionaries in places of the world where they can't sing songs when they gather and they gather in very small apartments because if they sing a song, their neighbors are told, if you hear that, that means they're, Worshiping God, which is a capital offense, and we need to arrest them immediately. There are places in the world like that. That's real persecution, but in America, no one's going to have you killed for sharing the gospel with your you know, workmate, your employee, fellow employee. What are they going to do? They just are going to think you're a little weird. Guess what? I had to tell you this, but you're already weird. There are things that you do that nobody else knows about, like the way in which you keep the toilet paper on the toilet paper roll and what you do, like you do all kinds of stuff and that only you know about that are really weird. We're already weird. Let's just admit it and let's just share the gospel because eternity is real and our God is real and our God has sent us and called us out of darkness into his mission and we need to get after it. This is what I love in finishing this. There's so much here in John chapter four. Don't have the time to go into it all, but I, just, I love the richness and depth of this, this passage. There's so much here. And in 27, it says this, just then his disciples came back. Remember the disciples were out looking for kosher food. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. So they marveled that he was talking with a woman, going back to, you don't do this. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Right? They're like, we're not bringing this up with Jesus. 
Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So again, the disciples just went scouring through Samaria for kosher food, managed to find it and bring it back to him. So we got it, Jesus, now eat, you need to eat. This is what he says, I have food you don't know about. What? We've been looking all this time and you've had food the whole time? So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Like which one of you is trying to be the good disciple and get, get one up on the rest of us and brought him some secret food? Who's doing this? Peter, is that you? It seems like it would be you. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I, I believe this right now in the state of Utah and across the world, but especially in my state, I believe the fields are wide unto harvest. Since COVID hit, we have seen an explosion in spiritual interest and gospel conversations we've never seen before. People coming to my church that are leaving Mormonism for the first time and just going, what's real and what's true? I believe in Jesus, but that wasn't it. And I'm not sure who he is, but I wanna find out. And I've got places and there's all over, like we would love to plant 20 churches in 10 years. But the problem is like, we can't do that unless there's the right people to go and plant those churches. Like people called by God to go and into new areas and places and lands to go and share the gospel. The fields are wide under harvest. So then why in the world don't we go and share? Because of uncomfortableness? Because it scares us? Because of the sacrifices we have to make? Like there's all sorts of reasons why. But the fields are wide under harvest. And like they're not gonna hear unless someone goes and tells them. They're not just gonna figure it out on their own. Like, you know what? I'm lost in my sins and Jesus can help me. There are stories of places, especially in the Middle East, of people having dreams of Jesus. What they often does is they often find somebody and God works it out sovereignly and orchestrates these incredible meetings with people. But God's plan is to use you and me to be his heralds into the world to share the message of the gospel. The will of Jesus, the food that he wants us to eat is that we would be a part of that mission, that you and I would be a part of that work. Charles Spurgeon said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Let that sink in for a second. What does he mean by that? If you think that being a missionary is just for a certain class of Christian and that's not you, He's saying you're an imposter. You're a fake. You look the part, you dress the part, you're nice moral people, but you know what? Who's got better morality than you do? The LDS church. And in my, my city, my state, like there's some very moral people. Morality does not equal Christian. Christian is when we place our entire faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You may be here today and maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you haven't placed your faith in Jesus and you are an imposter. Stop living like an imposter. 
Let the grace of Jesus transform your life. Let the unconditional grace of Jesus go to him in your need and tell him you need him. Ask him for forgiveness and salvation and he will grant you salvation because the work's in him, not in you. And then for us as followers of Christ, I just gotta believe that there's more people, there's more laborers sitting in churches all across America that God wants to use for his work, his global work, and he is still mobilizing people even today. I just believe that. The fields are wide under harvest. The work is too vast. There's not enough labor. So where do they gotta come from? They gotta come from churches like this one and go to places like local churches, Wanda Woods and other places in Boston and Japan and Salt Lake City and in your workplace. To reach Samaritans, we must be willing to go to uncomfortable places, demonstrate uncomfortable love and share uncomfortable truth. Are you a missionary? Are you an imposter? Are you a follower of Jesus? Or are you just a fake? Let's pray. God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, there's so much here, God, so much just depth in your word in this passage. And Lord, it's so convicting to my heart and my life and my soul. And God, I just thank you, Lord, that you died for me. You paid the price for me. You gave your life for me. God, that your love is for the world and for the nations. And that the, the, the Great Commission has not ended. It's not done. It's not finished. And you're still doing a work of saving sinners. You are still in that business of saving sinners. And your process for this, Lord, uses men and women to share that message of truth, that you've entrusted that with us. The work is all yours. The glory is all yours. But the message of sharing that message is, is us so that you've given that work too. And God, I just pray right now, Lord, that we would be people, Lord, that be a group of missionary believers, not a group of imposters, not a group of fakes, but God, people transformed by your word and your spirit. And God, that we see the world in a different light. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do a time of invitation. And during this time of invitation, maybe it's you. Maybe it's you, where you are this morning in the seat you're sitting, that you realize that you are not a follower of Jesus, that you've never turned from your sins and turned to Jesus by faith. This morning is your day to believe, to believe that Jesus Christ died the death that you deserve. He suffered the punishment for your sins on the cross and rose again three days later so that your sins could be forgiven and you could be given the gift of life, abundant and eternal. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today is an invitation for you to come and give your life to Jesus. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. There are people at those crosses ready to receive you and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. Today, place your faith in him, cry out to him. Maybe you're in this room and you are a follower of Jesus and you're wrestling. I know that some of you in this room, you're wrestling. You're hearing about us talking about what God has in store for us and, and maybe uh, you're wrestling with this morning with this call to leave Northwood. And to go to somewhere like Wanda Woods and plant yourself for the sake of the gospel or, or maybe to leave our city and to go to somewhere like, like Utah, like Mariah has done and, and plant your life there. I have no idea. Maybe it's just you're wrestling with a call to go to your neighbor who desperately needs the gospel, but you've been unwilling to open your mouth and you've ignored that, that need that God's placed right around you. As followers of Jesus this morning, I, I know that the spirit of God is convicting us and calling us to move in obedience. And you know right now how, how, how the spirit of God is wrestling with your heart. And you know right now how you need to respond in obedience. I would love to pray for you. I'll be down front. You can come and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. However, God is leading you to move in these moments during this time of invitation, you move in obedience. Let's 
let's sing together as we have this time of invitation.